This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. You can't control what's outside your home, but you can control what comes in. Because Clorox disinfecting wipes kill 99.9% of viruses and bacteria, including COVID-19 virus, when used as directed on hard, non-porous surfaces. So whether it's from dirty doorknobs, dirty shoes, or something else, outside germs won't stand a chance. When it counts, trust Clorox. Kill Pseudomonas, Salmonella, and Influenza virus type A2. Kill SARS-CoV-2 on hard, non-porous surfaces. Use as directed. Welcome to Talking Halos. This is Derek C. Paul with John Crane. It's a wonderful night for baseball. The Angels beat the Rays tonight in the opener of the series 5-3. Shohei Otani gets himself a cycle, the first Japanese-born player in Major League Baseball history to hit for the cycle. John, you're just getting home from work. How you feeling, bud? I'm excited that I got to I got to hear him on the radio hit the single that completed the cycle. By the time I got in the car, and, and that's only because of that uh, power outage that I was able even to see. I think what I to hear what I saw, what I heard, uh, and uh, so it was very cool to hear. I was applauding in my car on the 57 freeway in bumper to bumper traffic when he hit that single. That was very very cool. Uh, history made tonight. This is the advantage of being the East Coast. I may, it may suck for me when the team is home, but on the road, I'll have to be up as late to watch this stuff. So 5-3, Angels win again. Later on in the show as well, we're going to talk about Carlos Colazzo, and uh, he's going to be, he's going to be uh, discussing the draft with us, actually breaking it down as a part, that promise part two from what we had earlier uh, when we first talked to him. So he's back to give us the wrap-up. And also, we want to talk about Tim Mead a little bit, too. We didn't actually get to him last night. One more note in the game. We'll get to it in a second, um, the game itself. But Albert Pujols hits his 200th home run as an angel. So there's kind of the layout of where we're going. Before we get started, we'll let you know, hey, we are available in so many places on the internet. right now iTunes, which is now Apple Music, apparently. Spotify. Stitcher. All these different places have our podcasts available Working on iHeartRadio, it's on Google Play. So, hey, check us out. Player FM, we're there too. Also, subscribe. You can leave a, a five-star review for us on iTunes. We deeply appreciate that. And if you want us to earn it, hey, great. Email us at talkinghalos.gmail.com and give us your feedback. And if you are a new listener and you're enjoying the show, please do us a favor. Please text a fellow Angels fan or give them a call and let them know about our podcast. It really mean the world to us as we try and grow this new venture. Oh, and by the way, if you are a veteran... For this Sunday's show, please send us where you were stationed, when you served, 
and your favorite Angels memory, either on the, on Twitter or via uh, the voicemail at 657-666-5453 or even the email address at talkings.gmail.com and we will, re- we will read it on the show on Sunday night. All right. So here's here we go, John. Angels on the day 5-3. This, this was an interesting one. The starting pitching a little shaky. The, the numbers don't show it as much as it should. And the bullpen comes through. In the end, it's all about Shohei Otani. Otani today goes 4-4 four for four with 3 RBI, 2 runs, 1 home run, and, of course, the cycle. He's got his batting average up to 281. 281. He's almost caught Trout at this point. Trout's team 286. And also, Albert Pujols 2 for 3. Sorry, 1 for 3. He's hitting 238 with his, another home run as well. So, those are the big starts offensively. The Angels only get six hits in the game. So, overall, Tampa pitches well, but they came through in a matter, especially our stars, Otani and Pujols. What are your first thoughts, John? I just, uh, well, you know, I, I, as you know, I, I turned on the game on my drive home. It was still actually, I, I got to experience it because of the power outage. I didn't probably would have missed the whole darn thing, but but I did get to hear Otani um, hit his, uh, his single that sealed the uh, cycle and was applauding in the car it was so exciting I, you know i'm gonna watch it because we got angel replay so i'll be able to watch i'll actually be able to watch the game and uh i just i mean i you know last christmas or two christmases ago uh my my christmas present was an otani jersey so i've uh was just i've been thrilled since the day that uh, he signed with us that he picked us and you know injury has been we knew that going in he he had some arm problems but we are really starting to see this guy uh uh, blossom and uh, be as, be even more historical than he is by just essentially being you know stepping out onto the mound. Be- I mean, uh, oh, he's already pitched and he's just he's he's walking history and we get to witness it. The thing I liked about Italian Night is none of those four hits were cheap hits. None of them were lazy hits or uh, lazy is not the right word. Maybe you know lucky hits. Okay, these all those four hits were solid shots. That single to get his cycle was a perfect hit right up the middle. Great job on his part. Great hitting on a two strike count. That's what I like about his development is that we're seeing him become a better and better hitter. And I think it's understandable to think that he was struggling at first because basically the first month and a half was what his spring training. Yeah, I mean, that's really what it was. So, yeah, he should start heating up. And at this point, he is already now back up 281 after tonight. Uh, Pujols, that home run. Did you, you didn't get a chance to see the home run yet, did you? No, I did not. His 200th as an angel, by the way. Yeah. he That was a freaking rocket launch, man. That thing was gone. It wasn't even just over the fence. It was like in Tropicana Field they have, which, by the way, is a horror-looking stadium. <laughs> I hate to say it. There's a six, seven, eight. I want to say at least ten rows back, where there's a separation. Uh, that's where his home run landed. That's how deep it was. Pitching tonight, by the way, Tyler Skaggs five innings pitched, seven hits, three earned runs, two walks, five Ks. I'm gonna say he he probably got a little bit lucky early in the game. He, they were they were making contact with him. He got outs and jams, you know. But overall. He was tough enough to stay in it when he didn't have his best stuff. Noe Ramirez. Go on, John. Say it. Noe. Noe. Two strong innings, right? Two strong innings, right? Two and two-thirds innings, two hits, two strikeouts. His ERA is down 3.44, and he's been solid in his last 10 innings of pitching, almost 11 innings pitching, no earned runs. 
Justin Anderson starting to come around. He comes in for one one out, gets a strikeout. And Cam Bedrosian, another pitcher much maligned by Sir John here. One inning pitch, one hit, two strikeouts. I, there's nothing I can't I can't blame him for the hit he gave up. It was a solid shot, great piece of hitting by the by the race hitter for who his name was. But all of a sudden, Cam's ERA is in a two five one with a one point one one WHIP, uh, and he did it. I just told you, didn't I make this case last night that the Angels should give him a better role? I was going to say, was Brad Asmus listening to our listen to our uh, podcast? Because <laughs> uh, lo and behold, he comes in in the ninth inning to to seal the deal. He pitched very well. It's nice to see Cam Bedrosian starting to blossom. And somebody even mentioned tonight on Facebook, is he finally starting to reach that potential? And he might be. Sometimes it takes a while. Sometimes it takes a few lumps. But he's been outstanding here in the, like, the last month or so. And, and so the good job on his part. The bullpen itself tonight in four innings pitch gave up three hits, five strikeouts, no runs. And that's why the Angels won this game. If you look at the lineup, John, how many people in this lineup? Nine, nine hitters. How many went hitless? I don't have the stats in front of me. I'm going to say none. Why don't you think this one through again? <laughs> how many went hitless? Oh, went hitless. Zero. Okay. Six angels went hitless tonight. The bottom <laughs> four hitters. The bottom four. No, 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 no. One, two, three, four. The bottom five hitters all went hitless. Puelo. 0 for 3, Calhoun, 0 for 4, Kevin Smith, 0 for 4, Wilfredo Tovar, 0 for 4, and Regifo, 0 for 4. And then you, the Mike Trout went 0 for 3 with a, uh, looks like he was hit by a pitch. So, rough night for Angels hitters, except for Shohei Otani, Pujols, and Lestella went 0 for 3 as well. Not well, a fun night at all for hitters. I got, a, I got interesting trivia on the way home listening to the radio from Jose Moda. Who's the one of the play by uh, the color commentary actually, and uh, apparent Tyler Skaggs has a twelve point nine one ERA in the fifth run, in the fifth inning this season. Did did we see that that that, that could be why we, we don't get why the relievers are coming in twelve point nine one in the in the fifth, and he has zero runs. He's given up zero runs in the second inning. That's been my big complaint with Angels pitchers overall. They don't they can't seem to make it five innings plus. They fall they yeah. have, and they fall apart. You know, he's fifth inning. He's in. He's what'd you say? Twelve over twelve. Twelve point nine one. I mean, that's horrid. Almost thirteen. Yeah, and and where did and where did he lose it today? In the fifth, fifth inning. inning. Fifth inning. Now, in fairness to him, the lights went out on the fourth. We have no idea what kind of effect that had on him, his arm, and so on and so forth. Come fifth inning, he's able to get out of the fourth inning okay, but we don't know the. Once these things happen, you have no idea what effect, how it affects players' psyche or how it affects them physically. That was a long inning, a long period of time for him to be sitting out waiting for the lights to come back on and then getting me okay after that. So, I mean, to in fairness to him, you know, that's, that's where I'd want to go with that. So here's the thing, John. They're 34 and 35 now. So once again, they have a chance to break the 500 curse tomorrow night against the Rays. The Rays are showing a little bit. Yeah, and there's a good shot, you know, the pitching the mound tomorrow night. But who's on the mission? Who's on the mound tomorrow? Andrew Heaney. Andrew Heaney. Andrew Heaney. So, but Heaney, he's he's facing uh, Snell, who's Snell's been pretty good. Yeah, Snell's been pretty, pretty good. He's three exactly. three five ERA. Yeah. So, I mean, another opportunity for the Angels to, to break that 500 barrier. 
and uh, I look to see it happen. All that in mind, here's my question for you, John. It's it's almost middle of June. The trade deadline's creeping up on us. Where do the Angels stand now for the trade deadline? Do you start thinking about buy, sell, or sit? Where do you go? Oh, I could be a fan, uh, you know, a typical fan, and say buy, but I don't know what you're going to buy. What are you going to buy? We need we need pitching. Uh, we we need we need so strong pitching, and I don't see it out there. And and I, we're not going to trade prospects as we've as we refer as we've heard. Um, so at this point, I think you stand still. We're getting we're getting. Whoa, 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 to- hold on, before you come to that final decision, are you are you okay? You're dying over there. Yeah, I'm fine. Oh my gosh. Oh, there it goes. Pause. Wipe all the memories clean of our discussions just and all the, the biases and, and all that stuff out. You are the general manager right now, not Epler. Okay? You're looking at your roster. No one's making a decision but you right now. So don't, don't think about the articles you've read. Don't think about any of those other things. You're the general manager. Are you buying, selling, or standing still? I am standing still. We still have two players, uh, two of our best players are, uh, you know, uh, Anderson Simmons and um, Justin Upton. <sighs> Justin Upton, thank you very much. You said it's in my head. We, we they haven't they haven't played, we, so we got them coming back. Our pitching is young. We have the young pitchers. I think we're we're heading in the right direction. We're not heading towards a title right now. We're not heading towards a title this year. So I no, I don't see any reason to go out and acquire, you know, and you know, and I, I can't even imagine who would be available. So no, I th- I stand. And that is I stand. Okay, you mentioned that. Now a friend of the show, Jared Timms, breaks this out earlier. Max Scherzer actually has a pretty friendly contract given his production, especially after three years, okay, and he he posed the possibility of the Angels trading for him. Now he's thirty five years old, but he's basically been a genetic freak. His production's still top notch. He's showing no signs of slowing down. But here's Max Scherzer. What would you think in that situation where yeah, you'll pay the price for three years, and then his contract just slows down? In terms, not in terms of pay. Are you talking about just just money? Well, if you're going to trade for him, you're going to get some money for him, just bring prospects. And what's it? I'm I'm looking. I'm on the on Jerry's. I mean, uh, a lot I'm, of the money is deferred until 2028 for his contract. Oh, I did see that. So that's so yeah. So we're kind of we're kind of um, going towards we're we're moving it down the line. And we don't know how we're going to be. I, I, I still, if you're if we're deferring money, then if there's a plan that we're that we're building towards here, uh, then we're deferring money towards when that whole plan could come to fruition. Well, that's his contract. His contract def- defers money in 2028. Mm-hmm. He's, he's 34 now, not 35. But right now, he has money coming to him later. So, right, if you look at his contract right now with the team, he will make. Thirty-seven million, thirty-five million, and thirty-four million in the next three years. Now, then you add on to what's coming afterwards, which is I think I believe I'm reading it fifteen thousand. Some are saying he's a UFA. Uh, I gotta check on that again. But I, I, where do you go with that? See now, look what you've done to me, Derek. 
when we started this, when when we came, when you when you came up with the idea of this, I was a guy who'd say Scherzer, sign Scherzer, Scherzer, yeah, sure, trade everybody. And now you've got me, you've gotten me to a more rational, patient place that I don't. So, so how many? So you're saying he's young, thirty four. So you're saying we're going to have him for another four or five years? Well, three years, basically. I guess the way I'm reading it is if you put the rest of his contract out and money is deferred, you would pay a lot more of it later on. I look at it and I think, I still say no, honestly. I mean, isn't, aren't, aren't, isn't that what we're doing right now with, with um, pools? Yeah. Paying deferred money? Paying deferred money? Well, for- no, his money is a straight. His money is a straight set. I'm still trying to make sure I understand. I might not even be understanding correctly if I'm honest. I'm just kind of reading about it as we go here, because the idea just popped in my mind. What if Scherzer is available? And do you want to pay that kind of money? He brought the idea of it, and some folks brought in in his stream mentioned. Well, it would be. Let's see here. What one person said. So somebody clarified. I, I got to check and see if this is true. He'll receive fifteen million per year on July 1st and 22, 28, age 37 to 43. Um, but he's 34 years old. So you pick up that contract, you're picking up everything deferred later on. I look at it and go, well, if that's the case, do we really want that? Honestly, do we want that? Do, I mean, I guess the question is, do we want to take on some more money to try and win now? No matter how we frame it. I, I don't I don't know how we're I don't think that would get us to where we're going to win now is what I'm thinking. I think and I I'm on the Twitter feed I'm on the Twitter feed right now and I see what you're talking about. Uh, yeah, and this I mean, it's just a it's not a coherent conversation for me yet. I'm still kind of fleshing it out with you right now if that's available to me though. I think it's like I feel like if that's the case, the Nationals if they're going to try to try and turn to the Angels like a fishing pole and there's some bait there and it wants to take the bait, I would say still no because that's I, I, I'm perfectly fine if the Angels are very close to winning World Series going out there and paying the big money to try and go over the top. I'm perfectly fine with that to try and get you there. But otherwise, you are risking so much more in terms of financial flexibility and so on and so forth. Exactly. If I'm the Dodgers, I might consider it. If I'm the Astros, whatever you know, teams that are right there on the fringe or already have been. But he's not gonna. He's not gonna put us in the World Series this year. I don't think. Uh, so no, I would. I still say no. Yeah. Follow yeah. the plan, Derek. Follow the follow plan. Follow the plan. Well, I have to be fair and pose those questions because. You know, if we go back to those conversations we had about following the plan, I did say I'm open to changing my mind under the right circumstances. At 34 and 35, and the team has played well this week, but they're coming off the weekend, which wasn't so pretty, okay? They're so maddeningly inconsistent, but they're still only one game under 500, and then you have a very dangerous line of the top of the line, anyways, with two guys coming back. All of a sudden, the Angels could be very dangerous come August if everybody's back and playing decent. One thing they're missing is pitching. So do you go for it, especially when they have that monster September schedule coming up? Or do you say, you know what, 
I, I understand the potential here. I understand they could maybe make the playoffs, but we're we're trying to be in a situation to win long term, not just now. So no. Do we still stick by that trust the process idea? I do, because this this didn't come out. I've never heard anybody mention it in the, you know, Billy Upler or, or anybody mention this. So this is just a, a pretty package that just popped up, but it really kind of, you know, it's it could be a potentially exploding package. Well, I mean, but it's just it's just really two guys talking possibilities. Do I really think Billy Epler will entertain it? No. I mean, n- yeah, no. <laughs> but we're just talking baseball now and thinking, well, what if? And, you know, it's, it's a great test to what we were talking about before. If you're not willing to go get an ace like... If you're not willing to go get an ace like Max Scherzer at a relatively great contract to get him with, then, you know what? Just take him into your into where you're going. That's how I view it. I agree. I don't. I don't. I'm, I'm a no. I'm still. I'll just say it again. I'm a no. Well, I I can't believe. I think I've drawn you over to the dark side of methodical thinking here. You have. I mean, I I, I have oh my changed God. my. You know, I just used to. You know, I, I I understand Albert's. You know, is is a frustrating contract drain, but he's fun to watch, and and I still enjoy watching. I mean, I just I just love watching Otani. Of course, I love watching Trout, but who doesn't love watching Trout? So, when so, are you going to get an Otani jersey? I already have an Otani jersey. I don't oh, have a Trout sh- jersey. Whoa, what? I I told you, you that an Otani jersey before a, a Trout jersey. I got a Otani jersey before he stepped foot on the grass in, in Angel Stadium. I got it for Christmas two wow. years ago. So you love and that's, Otani. If you look on my uh, no, that's not my Otani jersey on the on the. But I'll share it. I'll share you me holding it. But no, I, I definitely have pictures of me wearing my Otani jersey. He don't. I haven't got close to him though, unfortunately. <laughs> you sound almost like a stalker. You're not right. I am. Yeah, that's fine. That's right. Hey, I, you, you saw my pictures. You know I'm a stalker. I just want to take a picture with me. That's all I want. Hey, Brad, come on worse. over and take can a picture with me. It can and be Brad, worse. You can be wanting like, you know, some oh, there's hair people, or something. You know, people that stand there with these creepy. with these uh, pictures and, and programs and stuff on cardboard, you know, take down. Like, wait, you know, it's like, I'm, I'm, I just want a picture. That's all I want. <laughs> I want the autograph. That's what I want. That's extra, but see, you ask for the picture, and then they they they'll, they'll probably give you the autograph. I also want a picture with iPay. There you go. There you go. Oh, All right, time. folks. So that ends that course discussion. Before we move forward, we, we want to remind you that hey, we are looking for sponsors. So reach out to us at talkinghalos at gmail if you like what we're doing. And you know, to help us keep the lights on here. You can also do a voicemail at six five seven six 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 five four five three. And without further ado, here's our look. At the MLB draft, our class, the Angels class, with Carlos Colazzo from Baseball America. Check it out. All right, folks, I'm here, Carlos Colazzo from Baseball America, back again to go over the Angels draft class. How are you, man? Doing well. We're like uh, about a week out from the draft now, so we can kind of take some stock into some of these teams, see what they did and, and just be able to digest the draft a little bit more. It's obviously tough when uh, you have 40 rounds and 1200 or so players drafted, but uh, it's nice that we're kind of getting away from it and can, can take a look with some fresh eyes at this point. So you and I were just talking before we started recording about the process of being, so mm-hmm. studies all this stuff but real quick. Can you mm-hmm. let folks know how have your last couple of weeks been when it comes to the draft and, and, 
preparing for it than afterwards and mm-hmm. so on and so forth. Yeah, so the few weeks leading up to it, we really just try and finalize our uh, BA500 rankings, make sure we don't have any players uh, who either popped up late in the spring that were missing or just any players who are uh, ranked a little bit too high or too low. We try and tweak that and finalize that and get that locked in. I like to have that 500 list basically locked in a week ahead of time. And then outside of that, it's just filling in reports and making sure all those guys have reports for our top 500 prospects, excuse me, and then for our state lists. Um, and then reporting for mock drafts, obviously mock draft season uh, is very busy. People like to know uh, what we think is, is going to happen, if we can kind of project as much of the first round as possible. I think we did a pretty good job of that this year, uh, kind of across the industry, not just speaking for myself. Uh, the draft was less crazy than we expected, but, but yeah, it's mostly just calling scouts, making sure we have all of our kind of ducks in a row. We've been following the draft for a full year, so there shouldn't be anything that's too, uh, unknown that that's popping up at, at that stage. Basically it's making sure all the information is as accurate, uh, as possible for all the readers out there. So you guys basically live, eat, drink this stuff for an entire year. We, we go over it for a couple weeks afterwards, then we get the process of following these guys through the minors, but you're already yeah. getting ready for next year now. Yeah, so right now, actually, one of the bigger uh, events of the, the the high school showcase season is going on in Arizona, the Perfect Game National, so a lot of the top 2020 talents are, are just getting started. Um, so it is, for me, for me specifically at Baseball America, I have the luxury of following these draft guys for, for the entire year. That's my focus now. I'll occasionally get pulled away to some to some minor league coverage, help out with the handbook when that when that uh, comes around. But yeah, I, I pretty much focus on these guys 100 percent of the time, which is nice. So looking in now at the Angels, I know I <laughs> grades are a little cliche. People get tired of hearing, "Well, I got this grade here you know, for a class and team," mm-hmm. but it, it would be kind of n- nice to know what your thoughts are overall about mm-hmm. the team. So just for giggles, how would you grade this Angels draft class? <laughs> yeah, well, I'm glad you did say grades are cliche. I think it's just so hard to put on a, like, if I was to go through every draft class, I mean, honestly, every single draft class, I can find a bunch of players that excite me uh, and that I like because every single team is picking within, I guess you include the Red Sox, they're, they're getting a top 42 pick at the very least. So there are going to be guys that we like and who are exciting, but it is almost impossible to put a grade on the draft class right now. Uh, that's something you kind of have to do looking back five, maybe even 10 years in some cases. But I do like a lot of what the, the Angels did. I like how they didn't shy away uh, from some high school players early on. We're seeing a lot of teams kind of steer almost exclusively towards the uh, the college side in the draft. Uh, there are a number of teams who, who took a, a high school player with their first pick and then went college uh, into the into the 10, 15, even 20 rounds, depending on uh, depending on the team. But I do like how after the Angels got Will Wilson, a very polished college hitter, they went for some upside with their next three picks in Kyron Paris, Jack Kohanowicz, and Eric Rivera. Uh, I thought that was in- interesting. Uh, and then I like how they supplemented the uh, the pitching in the organization with a number of, of college arms because those guys do hit at a better rate than the high school pitchers. Now, while you can get really excited about some high school uh, right-handed pitching upside, oftentimes... Uh, the payoff for those players is six, seven years down the line, and sometimes they don't even make it at all. So as with all pitchers, I guess you could say. But it is an interesting class. I feel like they have a good mix of, of upside, floor, ceiling, all that stuff. It, it's it's interesting. So just to clarify, what do you mean by for 
well, for everybody for who's new to this idea of drafting and, and mm-hmm. understanding how pro- prospects work, what do you mean mm-hmm. by floor and ceiling? Yeah, I guess those, those are probably pretty lazy terms, but I'd say in general, a high floor player, I would consider anyone who has a high likelihood of making the majors and having some sort of major league role. Generally, those are college players, and more often than, than not, they're, they're college players that have uh, a long history or track record of hitting at a high level. And I think Will Wilson kind of is that to a T now. Um, so high floor, that would explain high floor. High ceiling is basically if everything goes right in your development and, and with the way that player development in the game has changed, I feel like uh, the ceilings for players, particularly pitchers, can can change a bit more than, than we would have thought 10, 15, 20 years ago. Uh, but guys who are very tooled up have a lot of, uh, impressive physical tools, but maybe um, maybe haven't shown as much production in the past. So a guy like Bobby Wood Jr. I think is a great example for both because I feel like he has an immensely high ceiling just because he has plus tools across the board. If he does hit at an even average rate, he's a franchise kind of player. But at the same time, Bobby Wood's one of those rare high school players who I think has a high floor as well because if he doesn't hit all those supplemental tools, uh, are still there for him, and I still think he could be a very solid everyday shortstop who who occasionally gets to some power. So that'd be an example of a guy who has a little bit of both. Hopefully, that explains it in some capacity. Okay, so it does. It does. Uh, what were the Angels' best picks, though? And what picks maybe left you shaking your head a little bit, going, uh, "I don't know about this one." Um, you know, I think for me personally, the Eric Rivera pick. I don't think it's a bad pick by any means. Um, but that is definitely an example of a player who his floor, uh, it, it can be pretty low. I think Rivera has some exciting tools and arm strength and raw power. Um, he was a guy who I saw swing and miss, um, a tremendous amount over the showcase circuit last summer. Uh, I know he had uh, a couple bad events that I saw in person. I think that kind of just hangs with you a little bit at the same time. He also hit balls pretty loud in, in a few games against some pretty good pitching. So I think that is a risky pick. Uh, but I do think that they kind of went into it knowing that that was the case. Uh, you've got a guy who has some arm talent on the mound as a left-hander can spin a curveball. He's just pretty raw in general. But in the fourth round, I think uh, it's perfectly reasonable and justified to to take a risk there. But the first pick at, at 15, I really do like Will Wilson. He went a little bit earlier than I expected him to go, just kind of the, the pre-draft buzz we were hearing on him. Um, but looking at that pick and then looking what they did with Kyron Paris, uh, the Angels clearly liked uh, the fact that they were taking two guys who were young for their for their class, both on the high school side with Kyron Paris, one of the youngest players in the entire high school class, and Will Wilson, who's young for the college for the college junior group as well. Um, I do think Kyron Paris has a better chance to stick at shortstop, as you guys probably have, uh, mm-hmm. have figured out from our scouting reports. Um, but I like both of those picks at the top. And, and Jack Kohanowitz, I feel like, is a good value. Um, in the third round as well, the 92nd pick. I like a lot of what he does. I feel like he's pretty polished for a high school right-hander. He doesn't have the biggest stuff, but with a frame like his, uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see him add uh, plenty in the future as well. So those are kind of my overall thoughts on the top four. Um, with the top three, I, I really like, and then the fourth round pick, and Eric Rivera, a little bit more skeptical just because uh, there's a lot, a long ways to go there. Was there anything later in the draft you're like, why the heck did they do that? Or was the rest of the draft pretty much standard from your point of view? No, I think it's pretty standard. I mean, once you get 
kind of into the fifth, sixth, seventh round, a lot of teams go different directions, whether that's college seniors or guys who are maybe a little bit off the board um, as far as the consensus is concerned. But obviously some teams really like certain players uh, more than others. So it's hard to judge a team too much because a lot of those players that are either uh, that are taken and, and aren't on our board or a lot lower on our board where they're picked, um, we might just be at an information disadvantage. And the team obviously uh, has scouted all of these players very heavily uh, and they know what they're taking. So I wouldn't say anything surprises me in a negative way. I do think if they can sign Jared Southern in the 20th round, I think that would be a fascinating pick. He's a guy who, who was one of the, uh, the the players that we found out a little bit later on in the process, but he's done some really good stuff and shown a really impressive fastball this spring. I think he's got um, some intriguing upside. So if the Angels can sign him out of, uh, I believe he's a Texas commit. Uh, that would be a, uh, a yeah, steal in the 20th round. I think he actually sent a tweet saying, thank you, Angels Bone, going to Texas first. Yeah, okay, so there you go. So 20th round, that's kind of when you get to the spot where you're like, okay, I don't know if these guys are going to sign. And that doesn't surprise me just because his talent definitely fits higher than, than that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that was a, an interesting pick for sure. So the Angels here, they, they focus on pitching from a third round down. They mm-hmm. 13 all the way around 16. They took Brandon mm-hmm. White, a center fielder, the 17th round. What do you believe was their strategy here to do just pitching straight? Was there a reflection of what we see at the major league level? Or are they trying to think long-term pitching death across the organization? Or both? Yeah, I think it could definitely be both. I mean, you, you definitely don't see teams draft for need in the top three rounds. Um, but I do think as you get more into like the middle of day two, you'll, you'll start to see teams attack maybe what they perceive as a weakness in their organization. I know the Nationals have done this for a couple years where they just really went pitching heavy when their org, uh, did not have a ton of, of pitching kind of in their top 30 prospects. I think pitching is obviously something the Angels need and, and kind of attacking this with a ton of, four-year pitchers, I think, is a, a smart strategy. It makes a lot of sense. Um, so I, I just think it's an obvious uh, area that you can address. And, and as a number of teams have showed, you can never have enough pitching. So I think once you get past the the fourth, fifth round, if you want to start attacking organizational needs, I think that that's perfectly fine because you'll have enough players pretty much across the spectrum, whether that's demographic, whether that's college, high school, whether that's uh, specific positions, uh, whatever you feel like you need to address. So I feel like it makes an, a lot of sense just looking at kind of what the Angels are looking at in their major league system and, and in their farm. I mean, they're they're clearly desperate for pitching. We see at the major mm-hmm. level, and they have some guys coming up now who are making an impact. But if you have, as those guys move up, then you're going to yeah. be lacking depth below them. I look at that and go, okay, this team has always been built around pitching. For it to be as bad mm-hmm. as it is pitching-wise right now, it does not surprise me going from third to 16 all-pitchers. Mm-hmm. It doesn't surprise me at all. Uh, but also moving on, you talked a little bit about Will Wilson. Can you give us a little bit more information about Will Wilson, what you liked about him, what was special about him, mm-hmm. and what do you believe are the odds he will develop into an everyday major leaguer? Yeah, I like to say I think he's a high floor guy. I mean, just his track record of hitting in the ACC and what he's done with a wood bat, I feel like you have to feel pretty safe about, about his uh, ability to get to the major league level. He was uh, one of the best college shortstops coming into the season and he kind of did everything we expected he's been one of the most consistent hitters in the ACC which is um, arguably the second best conference in college baseball uh, he's got more power than you would expect from a guy who's like six foot I think we have him listed at 184 somewhere around there um, he's got plus raw power there's some strikeout concerns there but I think throughout his career he's kind of hit 
for enough power to to make you, you you don't really worry about the strikeouts with the amount of impact that he's hitting for and it's not some gaudy amount of strikeouts it's just maybe a, a tick more than you would want um i think he does everything with the glove well i think the uh the shortstop questions stem from the fact that he's a below average runner um and generally uh, you see quicker guys stick at shortstop i think he could play there in a pinch i would be surprised if he turned into an everyday shortstop but i can see the kind of offensive-oriented second baseman who handles the position perfectly well uh, and then hits maybe 20, 25 home runs over the course of a full season. Uh, and I think that's a, obviously a very exciting player. So, you, you, you know, in other words, you think the odds are pretty decent he'll wind up being the Angels' everyday second baseman at some point? Yeah, I would, I would, I would be surprised if he didn't carve out a regular role in the majors. Obviously, in the draft, uh, you never really know what's going to happen. I mean, so many of these guys are going to go different ways that we didn't expect. So if, if he busted, I wouldn't be surprised just because it's the nature of the draft. I mean, mm-hmm. if I could accurately predict all these players, I would I'd probably have a job for a team getting paid a lot more <laughs> than what sure. I'm doing for Baseball America just because it's, it's impossible to really predict with, with any accuracy. But yeah, I mean, he's got all the traits that you want to see um, from, a, from a college hitter, and I think he does a lot of stuff well defensively. So... Um, I do think he, he's going to have some role in some capacity, and I think he's got a, a great chance to be an everyday player. So what about Kyron Paris? Very mm-hmm. interesting guy. He's not even 18 years old yet. Um, he did. He was a Cal commit. He, just, he did just sign last night at the Angels. What did mm-hmm. he show that got the Angels a bite on him? Yeah, I think, I mean, it, the age is obviously a factor, and whenever you see guys who have uh, an exciting skill set like he does. I think his hands, just his hands and his natural athleticism and quickness are kind of what stand out to me right away when I watched Kyron play last summer over the showcase circuit. His speed, uh, his movements uh, in the middle of the infield, he's a plus runner, he's got good defensive skills, quick twitch actions uh, with the glove and at the plate. Um, I think he's got a chance to be a pretty good shortstop defensively. I think he's going to need to continue to, to add strength to stick there. Um, as far as the arm strength is concerned, I think offensively, um, the quick hands play well in the box. Uh, he's got good timing. He's got pretty good discipline. He's got good bat- natural bat-to-ball skills. I think it's going to be a question of how much power does he get to. I think uh, at this point, uh, there's not a ton, and you don't really expect a ton just because he's so young. Um, he's got a lot of, of ways to go as far as physically maturing and heading in the right direction. Uh, with his power potential. He didn't get to play a ton this spring just because he had a few minor injuries. Uh, he was sick at time, and then I think weather actually delayed his season up in NorCal. But um, when he was on the field, he did well. Um, and I think he's got the makeup and kind of off-the-field demeanor to uh, to take advantage of all his physical tools and really make the most of his ability. All right, so here's the, here. Okay, let's see if I can get this right. I'm horrible with names. So I've heard it said. I've heard pronounced Jack Kanowitz, mm-hmm. and I heard you say Jack Kachanowitz. Mm-hmm. What is the actual proper proper? I would have to, to actually it? talk. I would have to talk to him. I was talking to uh, one of the guys with USA Baseball last summer, and he told me the pronunciation was actually Kohanowitz. Kohanowitz. So the ch is is silent, and that's how I've been saying it. Uh, that's how the, the impression I was under is Kohanowitz. Um, but actually, that's a, that's a fantastic question. I should probably have a better answer for you. But I believe that is how it's pronounced. Well, you and know, it sounds just as cool, I think. So let's go with that. Let's go with Kohanowitz for now, okay? So, Jack, if you're listening, but it's not personal. Please I can't tell me how to talk pronounce, to you, your boy, yes, pronounce your name. Okay, so let's go with Jack Kohanowitz today. Um, he's an interesting pick. 
We have heard a lot of whispers of Lake that he is signing. He was a guy we initially thought mm-hmm. he might not sign. What's mm-hmm. your take on him as a player, and do you think he will sign the Angels? Yeah, I think your second question is probably quicker to answer. I just think if you take a guy in the third round, you're expecting to sign him. Like they've done enough homework to know what the signability is, um, and when you're investing a, a, a pretty much if you sign someone in the top, I would say even 13 rounds, I, I kind of default to the team is going to sign them just because the rate of players that do sign in that range is so high. It's only a few every year across all teams that don't sign in that range. And I think 2018 was a little bit of an outlier just because there were like three guys in the first round who didn't sign between JT and Matt McClain and Carter Stewart. Um, but I, I mean, I do believe he's going to sign, but as far as what I think of him as a player, uh, like I said, he's, he's pretty polished for a, a high school right-hander who's six foot six, uh, with long limbs, long, long arms, long legs. I think his, uh, his delivery is much cleaner than I would expect from, from a guy of that frame and that size. I think he, he has throws pretty good strikes with all of his pitches that I've seen. Um, he's got a fastball that's in the 90, 94 mile per hour range. He's got a mid seventies curveball that has good spin, good depth. I think he can cast it at times. It gets a little loopy. Um, but I do think it projects as an above average breaking ball. Um, if he can improve the power of that pitch in the future, I think it'll help with that. And he also has a, a solid mid eighties changeup that shows promise. But like most of these amateur pitchers at the high school and college level, uh, it's not thrown enough to really have a ton of conviction in. Um, I don't think anything is plus now, but I do think he's got a chance to get a couple plus pitches in the future as he continues to add strength and kind of um, tick up that velocity. But I, I do think it's an exciting, polished, high upside right-handed pitcher. So would you say he has a high floor or a high ceiling or both? <laughs> Definitely not a high floor. I don't know if you can be a I don't know if you can be a high school right-hander and be a high floor just because the bust rate of that demographic specifically is so high. It's mm-hmm. it's one of the riskiest demographics in the draft outside of a high school catcher um there are just so many of those guys who don't make it that i would hesitate ever calling of them a high floor um but i think he's got a reasonably high ceiling he's not like one of these guys who has the most elite pure stuff in the class but if everything breaks right it wouldn't be surprising to see him in like a middle middle or back of the rotation role um and if you're a middle of a rotation pitcher in the third round that's that's a pretty good return (laughs) so look at the rest of this draft class what are some interesting names that we need to keep an eye on? And who do you believe will sign and who won't? Yeah, again, anyone in the top 13, unless you've seen something that I haven't at this point, I would expect all those guys to sign. Uh, just because, like I said, it's normally the exception when they don't choose to sign because teams are pretty good at, at figuring out what the signability is going to be. Um, one wild card, um, and I, I wouldn't expect him to sign, is Kenyon Yovan. He's a guy who was a top 100 prospect for us. Um, but he didn't pitch much at all this season. He had uh, some blood clot issues, uh, I believe, in his arm that kind of limited him. Obviously, that's kind of a scary situation. You hope that he can get uh, get everything healthy and figure it out. But at his best, Kenny Novon was uh, a guy who threw four solid average pitches, had really good starter traits. So in the 27th round, if you can actually get him to sign, I think that would be fantastic value. Um and then another guy who interests me just from a pitching standpoint is Elon right-hander Kyle Brnovich in the eighth round. Um, you could argue that he pitched better over his career than George Kirby, who was his uh, rotation mate at Elon throughout throughout their careers and went in the first round. He's got an unorthodox delivery. It's kind of a, uh, a weird, funky, long arm action, but he's got 
one of the better breaking balls in the college class and a plus-plus slider that absolutely mystified hitters throughout his college career. Uh, there's a lot of reliever risk with him just because his fastball is below average. It's like a pitch in the upper 80s, low 90s. Um, but if he can get into a, a system that can add some velocity, maybe he can play up. Uh, maybe he can has a chance to start because that slider is just so good. But uh, at the very least, I feel like he could be a, a really exciting weapon out of the bullpen. Uh, he's one that's really interesting just because uh, it's an unusual profile, but the slider is just so good that I think you can add some deception with what he does on the mound as well. All right. Well, you've answered every question that I have. <laughs> I just Overall, though, you seem to think this is a decent class, and I'm looking forward to see who winds up getting signed down there, especially – as you know, we just saw Will Wilson sign announced him on Monday. Mm-hmm. I believe they signed Kyron Paris on Tuesday, and mm-hmm. I'm really anxious about Co- oh, Kohanowitz. 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 Yeah, I'm, I'm hearing things even about like Kyle Brnovich, and I know I guess Chad Sykes did sign as well. That's what we're seeing mm-hmm. here. So, um, looking forward to seeing how this pans out. So Carl's yeah, no doubt. And I'm sure there's going to be uh, there's going to be some random player later on in this draft who might pop and turn into a prospect that we didn't even touch on. That's the beauty of the draft. So it'll be exciting to see. Well, you know something that, that just pop in mind, it, just as we were going mm-hmm. to sign off here. What are the odds that some of these kids who get drafted late in the draft decide to go ahead and sign this, even if they know that maybe, maybe, maybe they'll, they'll go higher in the top ten or even top five rounds in the future if they stick it out. Yeah, I think a lot of these high school kids are probably locks to get to school. Um, it's a little bit different. Like Spencer Jones in the 31st, I'd be shocked if he signed there. Uh, he's a guy who has legitimate first-round upside out of college in a few years if he gets healthy. Um, and most of these high school kids aren't going to once you get to this range. But there are every year a few interesting college guys, and, and it's so tough for me to say just with the lack of info I have on, on kind of the signability of these guys. It's more of just a a wait and see who does sign. So I'd hesitate to, to to pick out a person to say, oh, this guy really deep down here, he seems like a lot to sign because I just don't know. All right. Can you let folks know where to find you on social media or anything? Yes. If you want to follow me on Twitter, you can at Carlos A. Colazzo. Um, we're already getting started on the 2020 class. So if you want to get a head start for next year's group, that'll be the best way to find out uh, the information as quick as I can put it out. And then, Baseball America, as always, the website, baseballamerica.com. If you're interested in all this stuff, consider uh, subscribing. We really appreciate everyone who does. You guys are are what allows me to kind of focus on the draft year-round, so I'm very appreciative for that. And then uh, also we got a lot of great minors coverage, college coverage, pretty much any baseball coverage you want. Check it out uh, whenever you get a chance. And just just to remind you, is a subscription. I think you guys were running a special not too long ago. What's the rate there? Uh, at the top of my, I know we had a Father's Day special. I imagine that's still going on. Um, but generally, the rate is around uh, like seven or eight dollars a month, I believe, and then it, it gets discounted if you get if you buy like a full year, for example. I don't know around the rate, but it's a couple of coffees a month is basically what you're paying. So basically, sacrifice the Starbucks to go get a subscription. <laughs> it will be worth more for you long term. Yeah, right, much better for you. It's good reading, good education. All right. (laughs) All right, Carlos, thanks so much for joining the show. We'll be back with you next year. Thanks again. Really appreciate your time. Yeah, thanks for having me. So apparently, John, I have 
changed you as a fan since we started this podcast. Have you had a chance to look at the draft and come up with your own conclusions on what we got? No, but Carlos is very helpful. This well, is this is still a big this, and I I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna do more. I, I told myself today I was gonna look for the uh, Tim Salmon audio book. You know, see if I can find it on audio. But but then I then I might I might actually if I can't I, I'll actually read it because I I do need to study up on my on my angel history that you are a history buff on. You're a history you teacher, it. are you not? I am. I am. Okay, there you go. <laughs> you can get the Salmon book online for like three bucks, man. Hardback. Yeah. I'm gonna get it because you meant you dropped you dropped it in our last show too. So mm-hmm. well, yeah, I and did drop it, didn't I? Yes, you did. You dropped it. You dropped it on our last show. That's that's what that got me thinking. Okay, so I, I was I was gonna look on audiobook to see if it's there, and if it's not, yeah, I, I can read it. I can read it. I'm sure it's not. I'm sure it's not. I'm sure it's not War and Peace length, right? No, no, it's about like 200 pages. And then yeah. there's a book by Ron Goldman who who also worked with Tim Sam on that book. There's a one called Once They Were Angels that came out after the Angels won the World Series that covers Angels history. That one I have not picked up yet. I'm, I'm working my way through an economics book through the seminar I have coming up. But after that, I'm tearing that book apart. Uh, and so it's been guys to catch up on some Angels history. What ticks me off right now is there really isn't a whole lot of Angels literature out there. Like You can go on Kindle and find nothing except for the Shohei Otani book by Jay Parrish, which, by the way, I think we're going to have him on the show. Um, and so that is... About it, though, in terms of Angels literature that's on Kindle and readily available. Otherwise, you have to find it. I want more Angels books, man. I want more Angels reading. This team has like 50 years, almost six years of history. There's got to be more out there to write. Why isn't there anything out there known Ryan's Angels tenure? What about the 2002 World Series season? I want to see some of the things written. So I'm hoping some writers out there, you know, pick up. There is some. De- I think there's some demand. I think I would love to read that stuff. Would you? Yeah. Do you think it has anything to do with the LA bias? I maybe, but a good story is a good story. I, I have no problem reading good books. I have a I have a book on the ABA that I, I really enjoyed. I have a book on the Browns I really enjoyed. I'm a Rams fan. I I've read several Rams books. I, I there's a one there's a book on the Lakers that's really good, and there's a book out on the Clippers that I haven't read yet that I want to read. That one's on my list as well, but the Angels need some more reading. I did read uh, Phil Jackson the last season. I really enjoyed that book. Why? Because that last season was a train wreck? Yeah. Well, it's, I mean, you, you won't like why I liked the book, but uh, the, that book that book convinced me that uh, um, Phil Jackson wouldn't come back to the Lakers. And, of course, I was wrong. He did come back to the Lakers. <laughs> but, uh, it's a great book, and 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 really, this is my opinion. I guess uh, my this reader's opinion. The, the the moral of the book is really, uh, you know, the parallel between uh, Shaq and and Kobe, and basically, he, I think he really kind of takes uh, Shaq's uh, side on that, where he basically says Shaq is somebody who you say, Shaq, go do this, go do that, and he'll cry like a little baby and whine and whine and go do it. And he said, and Kobe, on the other hand, is a guy, Kobe, go do this. He'll say, yes, sir. And then he'll go do whatever he wants. <laughs> so uh, it's it was a good book. There's more than to it than that. But um, I, I did enjoy I really did enjoy because it it's, you know why? Because it's a daily journal. So it's just, a, it's a quick read. It's just, you read, it's literally day by day of the la- the final season. And of course, since you're a Clippers fan, it was like, oh, this is good gossipy stuff. 
Hey, I, I was I was among anybody when he when that brief time when he was pretending that he was going to leave he was open to leaving the Lakers. If he'd put on a Clipper jersey, I would have been a Kobe fan. So I, I'm big enough to admit it. I'm big enough to admit it. I'll take one of the most talented players in, in the NBA if he wants to be on my team. Well, but that didn't happen. And back to the Angels. All right, folks. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. This is <laughs> Here we go. Our quest for 500 again is continuing tomorrow night. Here, hopefully, finally it's get done and, and get the 500. It'll be nice. It'll be the first time they've been to 500 since, I think, geez, were they 8-7? and seven? Once they're 8-7? and seven? Eight and eight. Yeah, so, it's very early in the season. Very early in the season. Early season. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Talking Halos and search for our page on Facebook. Take Talking Halos there as well. You can find me on Twitter at DC Apollo and John Crane at Jags Crane John. Don't forget us on Spreaker, iTunes, pretty much all those places. We're we're everywhere. I promise. We're like we're like a virus. We're spreading. And also, don't forget veterans. One more time, veterans. Send us. Where you served, what you did, and your best angels memory to talkinghalos at gmail.com or leave a voicemail at 657-666-5453 or respond to the tweet on Twitter and we'll share your story on uh, Sunday's show. It's a really special thanks. Again, thanks for serving, gentlemen. Oh, one more thing. One more shout out to Mead. To me, we didn't get to you last night. But we want you to know, thank you for all the years you gave to the Angels. Thank you for leading a class act organization and media department. You are the best. Congratulations on your new job. And, you know, fair wins and following these to you. And thank you for taking me on two of the best field trips I have ever been on with my children. Uh, behind the scene tours of Angel Stadium. And and really the highlight is him speaking to the children. It's 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 awe inspiring. The guy is so humble too. You can't say this to his face. He does as you can kind of see from what's been going on the last week or week or two. He's a very humble man. He does not take praise uh lying down. <laughs> so. But he deserves so much. Thank you, Tim. And you know, hope th- this organization has a lot to live up to with you leaving. And I hope that the people who worked under you and now move on without you will remember the example that you set every day, day in and day out. All right. So for John Crane, this is Derek C. Paul saying, "Take it easy. We'll see you this weekend. Go Halos. Hopefully, we'll talk to you next time in their 500. Here we go. Take it easy." Whether you have your own bathroom or you share one with your family, a little extra help keeping the bathroom sink, counter, and mirror clean goes a long way. And Viva paper towels are for the long haul. They're two times more durable when wet compared to the leading value brand. And they clean like cloth, helping you keep the surfaces in your bathroom dry and fingerprint and toothpaste free. For an exceptional bathroom clean, there's Viva paper towels. Visit vivatowels.com to learn more.
You can't control what's outside your home, but you can control what comes in. Because Clorox disinfecting wipes kill 99.9% of viruses and bacteria, including COVID-19 virus, when used as directed on hard, non-porous surfaces. So whether it's from dirty doorknobs, dirty shoes, or something else, outside germs won't stand a chance. When it counts, trust Clorox. Kill Pseudomonas, Salmonella, and Influenza virus type A2. Kill SARS-CoV-2 on hard, non-porous surfaces. Use as directed.